So my friends, there's a tradition in the city of Krakow, Poland, uh, that the Archbishop of Krakow is the uh, final defensor civitatis. He is the last line of defense himself for the city. And that whenever the city would be uh, invaded and occupied, it falls to the Archbishop to be the last line of defense for the city. And he does this not by raising an army, not by having an underground um, kind of hit squad or anything like that. Rather, the archbishop in a time of occupation has the solemn duty of continuing to remind the people who they are, to remind them of their identity as citizens of the city of Krakow, uh, to preserve their identity. So that no period of occupation or no period of oppression could break the spirit of the people, even when all other civic and military means have um, failed to defend their liberties. It's the archbishop who has the role of continuing to remind the people who they are, what their identity is. He keeps the spirit of the people alive. That is his responsibility. A similar thing can be said about the church with regard to the family. That the church is the final defensor familiae, the final defender of the family. And that when all other means, all other uh, civic and legal means of defending the family have failed, ultimately it falls to the church to continue to preserve the identity of the family and of family life. Ultimately, it falls to the church to remind the family of its noble dignity and noble role. And that this, the church does it, again, not through enacting legislation or through any kind of military means, but rather by reminding the people that this is what the family is. Our Lord and God was born into a family. Christ assumed all of the duties of family life. And in doing so, he sanctified family life. Whatever the word of God assumed, he made a path to holiness. And so our Lord, in assuming regular family life, made family life a tremendous Uh, and real path to holiness. The family is the primary building block of society. If you want to break a society, you start by breaking the family. The family is that foundation upon which everything else is laid. And so we, the church, has the role of continuing to uh, build up the family, to support family life. That this is part of our our role as the church. We need to always support the family. Like this is so, and our parishes need to support families. Like this is what we're doing in a special way. We are doing this um, at St. Francis, continuing to build up and promote and support family life. The church has this solemn obligation to be the defender of the family to remind families of their noble dignity, 
that Christ himself became the member of a family and made the duties of family life um, part of and a path to holiness. Now, the virtue of justice is the virtue by which we render to people what is their due, right? So that in just uh, probably uh, next week, starting a week from today at least, many of us know that we have a, something that's due to the United States government and to uh, the government of the state of Connecticut that we have to pay our taxes, right? And there will be a certain amount that I'll have to pay to the federal, or hopefully they're going to give me money back because I've already paid them. That's going to be the goal. But that there is like an amount, right? And out of this amount, um, my debt to the United States government for the, what the wages I made in 2018 or 2019 is finally paid. And that's it. Like whatever the amount ends up being, um, you know, we use the example of $100, right? If you owe the United States government $100, you pay them the $100 and you're square. The government's not going to go looking for any more money from me and I get to drive on beautifully paved roads and enjoy national security and all the other benefits of being an American citizen. That it's a, it's a strict arrangement of justice. In the virtue of justice, there are two relationships that we can never ultimately repay. And those are the sub-virtues of religion and of piety. That ultimately, our debt to Almighty God uh, in the virtue of religion can never be paid. Everything that exists comes from God. And so it's a virtue that we can never repay. That it's never like, hey God, for that whole creation and creating me out of nothing, like, we're square, right? I paid you back for that. It doesn't happen. You can't pay God back. And so the virtue of religion, which we particularly uh, enact and, and observe, the mass is an act of the virtue of religion, that we pay, we return to God, love for love. But it's not like we go to a Sunday mass and then, boom, we're square. Rather, we need to continually offer religion to God. Virtue of religion, but then like it, is the virtue of piety. And that virtue of piety is that we also owe to every person owes to their parents this same, like the virtue of religion, we owe, to the, we owe honor to our parents. It's the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And it's not because necessarily they're so good. Um, or it's not because of any one thing that they've done other than they are the cause of our existence. Whether we like it or not, whether they like it or not, they are the cause of our existence. That we owe our being to our parents. And then that can extend as well to grandparents. Without them, our parents wouldn't exist and then we wouldn't exist. And to those to whom we owe the debt, the owe, we owe justice for our being, it's a virtue of piety. Meaning, it's never going to be paid all the way back. It is a lifelong debt that we owe. It's lifelong honor. The virtue of piety, which is exercised in family life by children toward their parents. That they, that we owe this honor 
And it's lifelong. I can never say to my parents, like, I paid you back for the fact that you gave me life, right? Like, we're square, we're good. It never happens. It is a lifelong virtue, the virtue of piety. Um, And so an essential part of family life is that we owe this honor, this piety, to our parents. Now, our Lord exercised this piety, this obedience, um, toward his mother and toward St. Joseph. You know, we often call St. Joseph uh, the foster father of our Lord. Um, But we do that sometimes in a diminutive... Foster fathers really do exercise real fathership, right? A a foster father is is a real father. A father, not by blood, but by marriage is a real father. And so I think we can call St. Joseph the father of our Lord, not by means of generation, but by the real role he exercised in the family. And our Lord was obedient to that. Like, like think about this. God was obedient to Mary and Joseph. Like, when they said to do something, he did it. He exercised that piety. And so he sanctified it. Now, this is important. Did he obey them because they're better than him? No. Like, no one is better than the Lord Jesus. But he obeyed them because within the bonds of family life, authority is exercised by means of of one's role and not by means of their um, inherent personal virtues. And so in family life, even, look, if you're smarter or you're holier or you're nicer than your parents... You still have to honor that, right? There's still something to um, that we, there's a quote, uh, we are what they grow beyond. Is that, that's from Star Wars, The Last Jedi. We are what they grow beyond. Good wisdom from Yoda on a Sunday morning. But that's, there's something about parents that children end up usually growing beyond their parents. And that it should be a blessing and not a cause for insecurity um, if a parent sees that their son or daughter is smarter than them or is holier than they are. Uh, That all authority within the family is exercised not because of someone's particular virtue, but because of their um, relationship. And so our Lord was obedient to Joseph and to Mary. He did what they said, even though he is the lawgiver and creator of everything. The authority which mothers and fathers have within family, and then the specific relationship between husbands and wives needs to be exercised always as ministry. Because it's an authority which is exercised not by means of personal virtue, but by means of uh, station. Similarly, you know, it's, it's a rough parallel, um, but I am called father. I, I am a spiritual father to our parish community here. And that's, I'm not the pastor because, and I don't exercise authority in the parish because I'm the holiest person here. Or I'm not getting up here and speaking because I'm the smartest one here. Rather, it's an authority which is exercised by means of a particular relationship and role. And that it is exercised, therefore, as a ministry. That when we exercise authority not based upon our own merit, but because of our role, It's exercised as a ministry. And so the mutual love between husband and wife is exercised as a ministry. 
and parental authority over parents always needs to be exercised as ministry, not based, not lording it over them. Um, rather, it is a ministerial love. It's a ministerial authority. Um, I have a quote here from John Paul II, but I couldn't print it out, so I'm going to have to read it off my phone. Um, that, yeah, if I'm reading off my phone, I probably should have highlighted it too. Um, but whatever, um, this will be aided in the proper, uh, in, if parents exercise their unrenounceable authority as a true and proper ministry. That is, as a service to the human and Christian well-being of their children, and in particular, as a service aimed at helping them acquire a true responsible freedom. And if parents maintain a living awareness of the gift they continually receive from their children. So John Paul II says, as we exercise authority, it always has to be seen as that ministry, which is helping children to grow into the fullness of who they're supposed to be. There's a, a retreat meditation delivered by Monsignor Ronald Knox, a famous English author, who said that um, a priest needs to be both father and mother in a certain sense. That a father uh, tries to build up, oftentimes, and maybe a little stereotypically, but tries to build up in his own image. That, that fathers want to be oftentimes imitated, that they want to form their children after their own likeness, sharing all of the virtue and the wisdom that they've learned. But that mothers have a very particular instinct for helping a child grow into the fullness of who they're supposed to be. And that there's a complementarity there of helping someone to grow and acquire all that can be handed on to them, but then taking it and growing in the freedom of who they particularly are and all the benefits of their personality. And so these are just some of the virtues and the roles of family life. I just want to, just one final point in conclusion, which is that within family life, there will always be imperfection. There will always be things that were not accounted for. There will always be um, failure. There will always be weakness. There will always um, be, in one way or another, tragedy. The Holy Family, very early on, uh, became a family of uh, immigrants in exile, that they had to flee from Bethlehem into Egypt, to a foreign country, where they probably wouldn't have spoken the language, where they would have had to work to even get there, and they would have had to support themselves in a new and foreign country, and particularly for people of Jewish origin, to be exiled into Egypt, where the Jews came out of, uh, could have been something very heartbreaking. But that's because the civic authorities wanted to kill their child. And so they fled to Egypt. What tragedy that must have been for the Holy Family. Even when families experience tragedies, difficulties, things that we, we weren't planning on this, we weren't expecting this, the, whatever our Lord assumed, he sanctified. And so even family tragedy can become a means of holiness as we live it with the Holy Family. The Holy Family wasn't the perfect, idyllic, leave-it-to-beaver family. Rather, they experienced hardship and suffering 
and pain and loss. And in that, that became God living with us. God with us, Emmanuel, suffering in the midst of family tragedy. And so, too, in our own lives. It's not like imitating the Holy Family means that we are going to be leave it to beaver families. Rather, what it means is that even in the midst of our tragedy, God suffers with us. He assumed everything of family life, even the difficulties and sadnesses. And so today, we turn to the Holy Family. The church needs to constantly, and we as members of the church, need to constantly remind the world of the beauty of family life of the intrinsic virtues of family life and of the greatness that the family can grow to and to remind the world that even in the midst of tragedy, our Lord God with us suffers uh, and walks right along with us. And so today we ask the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, to pray for us and our families, that imitating them here on earth, we can enjoy heaven forever with them in eternity.